guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Melissa, and you're listening to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast, where we pop bottles and celebrate the world's greatest women. Today, we have another Everyday Woman episode where we get to talk to a real-life woman kicking ass and taking names out there in the world today. And I am over the moon ecstatic about this episode, about this woman, about this conversation. And I'm just so happy it's finally here and it's releasing live today. Today, I'm introducing you to Sharice, the existential ginger. And I freaking love this girl. The minute that she hopped on our Zoom recording, the minute I heard her voice, saw her face, felt her radiating aura, I was just like, oh, this is going to be good. And it was. Sharice has a very unique story. She grew up in the Mormon church, in a Mormon family, and she experienced an existential crisis, which caused her to leave the church and move 2,000 miles away from everyone and everything that she knew. Now, if you guys have been listening to my show for a while, you know I've got a lot of my own personal feelings around religion. Not a huge religion fan. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten until the day I graduated high school and can't say I liked it. So I'm always super excited to talk to other people out there in the world who also faced challenges with their own religions, their own communities, their own feelings around faith and spirituality. So the minute I saw Sharice's bio, I knew I had to reach out to her. And I'm so happy I did because not only does she have such an amazing and inspirational story, she is an absolute motherfucking gem. Like, I'm borderline angry that she lives all the way on the other side of the country because her and I would be hanging out on the regs if she lived here in California. So we'll get into it in just a minute. But of course, a couple reminders Mimosa Sisterhood merchandise is live on the pod shop. You can head to my website, mimosasisterhood.com, and take a look at our first product launch. We've got a bunch of really cute hats for summer. We have some coasters, a coffee mug, a coffee mug, this really cool insulated beer koozie. We've got a pillow, a t-shirt, And everything is super cute. So check it out. I would be more than honored to see you repping our merchandise. And for the rest of summer, I'll have a couple more product launches coming out with different items. We'll have a lot more clothes coming down the pipeline. Just finalizing a few more designs, a few things that I am drawing myself that I will have eventually printed on some merch. So all just very exciting things that I am losing my mind over. And lastly, as always, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, please be sure to do that so you can receive new episodes the moment that they drop. Don't forget, we have a podcast phone number where the listeners can call in, leave voicemails that I will insert into our future episodes. I would love to hear your voice. I'd love to hear your story, and I would love to see your name and number pop up on my phone. So call in. The phone number is 
1-800-273-4914. And I would love for all of you to be a part of this podcast with me. So hit a girl up and I can't wait to hear from you. Charisse, hello. Welcome. How are you? You're here. I'm so excited. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood. Hello. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so honored to be here. I uh, was listening to your show all day and I love it (laughs) and I'm just excited to be part of this. So thank you. Heck yes. I am so stoked. I stumbled upon you out there in the World Wide Web And just based off the few small things I know about you, one, I was like, okay, this girl is super rad and I feel like we'd be friends. And two, you have such a powerful story and I just feel like we can learn so much about you and your life and I just have no doubt that you have so much wisdom to share with the rest of the world and I'm just very excited to hear it. Oh, (laughs) wow. No pressure. (laughs) Well... No pressure at all. And we make sure there's no pressure at all by having a couple cocktails on the show before we dive in. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) There's nothing like, you know, just getting the blood flowing, (laughs) just like letting things just kind of like marinate. We got this. Uh, Just loosen it up a bit, you know? Absolutely. And you work in the beer industry, right? I do. Yes. I'm... A beer sales rep. So I sell I sell beer for a living. Okay, so I used to work in restaurants like all throughout college. And I remember one day a woman came in with like all this alcohol, sat down at the bar, like spread it out on the bar. Our bar manager came out. They did this whole testing or they did this whole tasting. And like he picked and choose what we were going to start selling in the restaurant. And I'm like, I want that lady's job. Is that what you do? That is basically what I do, yes. Oh my god. (laughs) I've been wanting your job my whole life. How is it? Do you like it? What's it all about? Are you a beer connoisseur? What's it like? I... I, I absolutely love it. It I have to pinch myself sometimes because it's it truly is one of those things that I'm like, am I getting paid for this? I'm getting paid for this. (laughs) Right? It's so much fun. And yeah, the so I live in Pennsylvania and the alcohol laws are a little strange here. So you have to have um contracts to sell certain brands of certain beers in certain counties. It's very strange. So I work for a wholesaler who has contracts for like thousands of, of different brands of beers from different breweries. And so I go to the same bars and restaurants weekly and meet with them and take their order and um, present new products to them and do tastings, just like you said. So it's so much fun. So cool. So are you today on the podcast drinking a beer that you sell on a day-to-day basis? I am. I need to open it. Hang on. I specifically waited. I was like, we got to get that. Oh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) If only I had the patience to wait. I totally understand. Yes, I am drinking um, Summer Break by Sierra Nevada Brewery. Awesome. It's delightful. Cool. What kind of beer is it? Is it like a... It's a IPA? hazy IPA. Nice. So I've never really been a huge fan of IPAs just because they're so just like hardcore, Hobby. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but today I'm drinking a triple IPA. What? And I've actually found that the triples are, like, smoother to me than the doubles. They can be, yeah. And also, of course, than the just the basic IPA. And so I was like, ooh, I need to come with, like, a cool beer. What am I going to drink today? Well, I decided to throw it back to my favorite brewery of all time, which is right down the street from my house. I live in El Segundo, California. And we have the El Segundo Brewery. And it's so cool because we can just walk there from the house and we like became these like hardcore locals and then we couldn't go for the entire pandemic. And a couple of days ago, or actually, sorry, like a week or so ago, went back. It's back open operating. We're allowed to be inside. 
And I was like at the bar ordering a beer and the bartender was like, oh my God, it's so good to see you guys. Oh. <laughs> like, and I'm thinking like, are you talking to me? I like turn around to like see who's behind me that she might know. And like, she was talking to me and I'm like, holy shit, this lady knows who I am. And she's like, it's so nice to see some friendly faces. It's been a whole year since we've seen you. And I'm like, wow, I really did go to the brewery that often. If they remembered funny. me after not having seen me for an entire year. So when I was there, they have their 10th anniversary triple IPA. And oh. it's so cute because it has our city name on it. And I within each yeah. letter of El Segundo is like a picture of something that represents our town. And we, I live in a really like small town in LA. It's like nobody comes here unless you live here. So it's just like so sweet and cute. And I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rep my own little little city today on the pod. I so, love that so much. Yeah. Have you ever had any of these beers? I have not. No. Well, if somehow you ever make your way to LA, yes. Let me know. I'll take you to the brewery. I love brewery trips. Let's do it. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm gonna take one more sip of this thick hardcore triple and uh, we're gonna we're gonna do it cheers cheers okay well i know a little bit about your story just (laughs) a little bit and i'm sure there's a lot to discuss today but just to kind of like give the listeners just like a quick little overview you grew up in the mormon church were raised in the mormon church and eventually left the mormon church Yes. And now you sell beer, which yeah, like isn't that like not allowed in the Mormon Church? So like, oh, we're absolutely, really doing like backflips here in terms of like completely changing our our direction. So I guess like just to start, you know, obviously just share whatever you're comfortable sharing as deep as you'd like to go, as far back in your life as you'd like to go. But I guess like just let us tell us a little bit about like what it was like growing up in the Mormon church and in a Mormon family and like I guess what led to that point of just cutting it out and like saying sayonara oh yeah I I mean uh it it is a very long story so I'll give you the reader's digest version (laughs) um growing up Mormon I feel like there are a lot of stereotypes and misconceptions about the Mormon church so I didn't grow up on like a compound um the mainstream Mormon church, you probably pass Mormons all the time on the street and don't even know it. So it's not like the FLDS church where you're wearing like pioneer dresses and, you know, big long braids down to your butt. No, 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 no. I mean, I grew up in Utah where most people are Mormon, especially the area of Utah that I grew up in. It's like 98% Mormons. So everyone that I knew, everyone that I grew up around was also Mormon. So it is a very, very tight-knit community. There's not a lot of diversity. There's not a lot of variety. We call it the Mormon bubble because it really is. (laughs) Like everything that you do, everyone that you know is connected to the church. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know anything else ever. And so, uh, I mean, my childhood was normal quote unquote normal and wonderful and i went to college and a huge part of being mormon is the a family like the family is the center of everything that you do and so as a woman growing up in the church it's all about like when you get married when you have children there's no if it's when like Mm -hmm. that is your purpose that is your divine mission you are preparing yourself your entire childhood and adolescent to be someone's wife, to be someone's mother, because that's what you're here to do, right? So I went to college kind of with the attitude of like, okay, like I have of I am of marrying age now. Mormons get married very young typically. Um, and so I ended up marrying a childhood friend who was also Mormon. And we <laughs> We're very young and stupid. We, I was 21. He was 22. I don't think we really ever thought about, like, if it was a good idea for us to get married. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, oh, you're Mormon. I'm Mormon. Our families get along. Like, we can get married in the Mormon temple, which is what you're supposed to do. And so, like, check. Like, we'll do this. 
Um, so we got married and uh, our marriage just was not great because we weren't compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of, it was us getting divorced that was kind of the catalyst for me to take a really critical look at my beliefs. And there obviously were like little things along the way that bothered me about the belief system. I really didn't like the treatment of the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. I was in college during Proposition 8, and the Mormon church donated tons of money to essentially, like, fight the gay agenda, quote unquote. And, like, stuff like that really bothered me, but I always kind of fell back on this, like, oh, it's okay, like, God is good, he will figure it out, and I just have to have faith. And then at one point, I really, really wanted to be a mom and it just wasn't working out for one reason or another. And our ecclesiastical leader um, in the Mormon church is called a bishop. And he gave me like a priesthood blessing, which is the laying of hands. He can speak on God's behalf to me. My husband had had an affair and I was really struggling. And so this bishop was like, well, let me give you a blessing and the Lord can give you like some words of comfort. I was like, that'd be rad. Mm-hmm. So he gives me this blessing and says that I need to stay with my husband because we have children waiting to come to earth through our marriage. And so to me, I was like, that's it. Like, God wants me to stay with this guy. We're going to work it out because we have kids that need to be, you know, brought to earth through us. And then my husband came to me a while after that and said, God told me that I need to divorce you. And I was like, I'm sorry? Like, what? <laughs> so is that even a thing, though? Like, would in, um, in like, in terms of like Mormon beliefs, Mormon morals, would God ever even send a message promoting divorce? It is odd. But it's not impossible. And, like, the thing is, is because, um, I guess, I don't know, like, the textbook definition of evangelicalism, Mm -hmm. but Mormons do believe that, like, you don't have to go through your bishop or your priest or whatever to talk to God. Like, he can talk directly to you, right? So it is possible that, you know, hypothetically speaking, God could have told my husband that. But I was confused because I was like, I thought God told me that we had like children that we Mm -hmm. needed to have. Right. So I that's like that was the moment when things started to unravel for me. And then it was just like a total shit show from that on. (laughs) So I have a quick question. You had mentioned already, like for you growing up in this Mormon family, and religion, like motherhood family was the number one priority in terms of what you are going to do here on earth. Is there a similar narrative for the young boys that are grown up in Mormon families? Like, are they kind of also raised with this, you know, extremely high priority of like, you are to find a wife and to have children and like, have this family? Or do they also get a lot of other messages that are unrelated to family. Like if you even maybe know this just based off of like knowing other boys growing up. No, that's a great question. Um, I obviously it's a patriarchal religion. So women have a very different value than men do. Um, but yes, I would say the young men still get the same message of like, you need to get married. You need to have children. You're the provider you know, you're head of the family type of a thing, and you have stewardship over your wife mm-hmm. um, and your children. So, I mean, yeah, having a family is like drilled into you. I can remember being four and five years old and singing songs and talking about like, you know, one day you're going to go to the Mormon temple and you're going to be married and the boys get those lessons too. Okay. So how did your family respond to this divorce so i mean i guess i should mention here that divorce is not considered a sin in the mormon Mm -hmm. church Um, okay it's frowned upon i would say but it happens Mm -hmm. my family was shocked i do not know anyone um like we don't have anyone in our family within my lifetime that's gotten divorced so none of us really knew like 
anything about divorce. My husband gave no indication that he didn't want to be married to me anymore. I mean, in retrospect, I definitely can see the signs, but like we never talked about like, oh, I'm unhappy or anything like that. So it was a shock to them. And they were really supportive until my faith kind of started to unravel. And then it was like, oh, no, no, you're going down the wrong path. Come back. Yeah. So, like, how how did that happen? Like, I know the divorce sparked that, but were there any, like, major, other than the divorce, like, any other things that kind of started to, like, light bulb in your head about just the religion in general or this lifestyle that you were, like, heading down to kind of think, like, hold on, wait, what? Yeah, so I think a very important piece of it is, and this is always hard to explain, um, but there's kind of two pieces to a Mormon marriage. So there's what we call like the civil aspect, which is a, a normal marriage. And that is, you know, the bi- the legal binding of two people. And then there's the sealing, like sealing an envelope. And that's what happens in a Mormon temple. And that is the religious ceremony that is believed to transcend death. So when you marry someone in a Mormon temple, you're not just marrying them on earth. You're marrying them for time and all eternity. You are bound to this person forever. Oh, wow. And this is kind of the loophole for polygamy that Mormons believe is that on earth, you can only obviously be married to one person at a time because polygamy is illegal in the United States. But in heaven, men can be sealed to as many women as they would like. And women can only be sealed to one man. So as I'm going through my divorce, I'm like, okay, I am not going to be legally bound to this person anymore. But I am still going to be his wife in heaven. And how does that all work? And am I going to live out the rest of my life alone? And then I'm going to die and I'm going to have to be his wife again. And he's going to have other wives. Like all of these questions started going through my brain because I was like, yo, this is eternity. Like I still have to spend forever with this person that doesn't want to be married to me now. Yeah. No one could answer my questions. No one. I always got like very run of the mill um, almost like scripted answers of like, oh, Sharice, like, you don't need to worry about that now. Like, it'll be sorted out in the next life. Like, you don't even have to worry about it. And I was like, so I, I am going to die alone or, and you can get a ceiling cancellation, um, which has to be approved by like the governing body of the church. They're very hard to get. You have to fill out a literal application. I wish I was joking. And they're almost impossible to get. I was told, like, don't even try. Don't even try wow. to get one. So again, I'm just like, okay, so this loving, like, gracious God that I have devoted my life to is going to make me go back and be this person's wife after I have lived alone as a good, faithful Mormon woman. Like, it right. just, I couldn't connect the pieces in my brain. It didn't make sense. And I was just, the conclusion that I came to was no like a loving gracious deity would not do that Mm -hmm. and how old were you at this point i was 28 when i got divorced okay and how old were you when you got married 21 oh wow that is so young i know (laughs) oh my god i'm like i'm about to be 32 and like i know and the thing is like i mean It was just normal. Like, I was one of the last of my friends to get married in Utah as a Mormon. Wow. It's so crazy. Yeah. It's so crazy. Holy smokes. I mean, don't scientists say your brain isn't even fully developed until you're 25? I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, I can just, I don't even know if scientists have ever said that, but I can tell you factually in terms (laughs) of my own life that my brain didn't start developing until I was at least 27. Right? (laughs) It's bonkers. It is totally bonkers. And I don't want to, like, if you got married young. Yeah, exactly. It's no... it's not black and white, and I understand that, but oh my, yeah, it was, I was not ready to be somebody's wife. He was not ready to be somebody's husband, and it it was just, I mean, I feel like we were set up for failure from the get-go, but it's like, it's it's so weird to look back on because we didn't date very long. I mean, he was a childhood friend, but we really only dated two months before we got engaged. Whoa. 
And everybody was so excited. Yeah. Nobody was like, oh, this is kind of a red flag. Right? Or like, no one sat me down and was like, are you sure this is what you want? Like, this is forever. This is your life. Is this uh-huh. what you want? No one did that. Everyone was like, yay, you're getting married in the temple. Like a good Mormon girl. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, when everything around you is saying nothing but positive things about this decision you've made, you have no reason to even consider thinking otherwise. Right. Well, and I mean, to be perfectly frank, and I have a lot, I have so many theories on this because I've thought about it so much, but I, I mean, I prayed and I felt like I got the green light from the big kahuna upstairs too. And so that's what became even more confusing to me in this whole process is I'm just like, I have gotten so many mixed signals and the like toxic, abusive narratives in the religion really started to rear their ugly head during my divorce of like, oh, yeah, um, God probably did know that he was going to divorce you, but this is just your cross to bear. This is your trial God is teaching you a lesson and you just need to be strong. He will never give you more than you can handle. And I just remember thinking like, this is bullshit. Like, this is bullshit. Why? Why? Like, why does this have to be my lesson? Why does everything have to be, why does everything have to have like some cosmic significance? And it just, it all started to fall apart. And then I re I reread like the Mormons read the King James version of the Bible, but it's the Mormon version of the King James Bible. It's very hard to explain. And then they also have the Book of Mormon, which most people know about. So I reread those, but when I reread the Bible, I reread I read a different translation of it side by side with the Mormon version. Mm-hmm. And the discrepancies were insane. And it was like anything that contradicted the Mormon doctrine had been removed from the Mormon King James Bible. And I was like, okay, so this is kind of concerning. Yeah, they're kind of picking and choosing what is in alignment with their narrative. And I mean, to be perfectly frank, that's not specific to Mormonism. I mean, Mm -hmm. let's just be real. I I feel like most, most religions do that to some extent. Most just humans on the street. Right. We all do it. We all have agendas. Right. We all we all look for the answers we want to find. It, I get it. But to have devoted your entire existence, your entire life and sacrificed so much time and energy and so much of yourself to this idea and then to find it out that it is a lie was absolutely devastating i don't have another i don't have another word for it and i really did like plunge headfirst into an existential crisis because it was just like my whole like that meme of like my whole life is a lie like that's how i felt i was like what have i been doing like what is this all for and just like complete and utter betrayal and then like also just that feeling of like who can i trust if all the people in my life have sort of led me astray right and it it was i mean i was very bitter and resentful for a long time and i think i finally reached a point i mean it will be four years this year since i left that's not that long no it's it's not but (laughs) i uh i've had some great therapists along the way so hats off to therapy so I finally, I think I've reached a place where I'm not, I'm not like angry at my parents. I don't hold it against them that they, they raised me in a religion that they thought was good and was, mm-hmm. you know, going to bring me enlightenment and was going to provide um, happiness for us in as a family in the eternity. So I really can't blame them for that. And totally. I'm not angry. I'm not angry with them, but it, it does kind of leave me in an awkward place of like, well, I don't believe that anymore and you know i think one mistake that a lot of religious or formerly religious people i should say make that i know i made initially was you kind of take it upon yourself to become like the anti-missionary mm-hmm. like i have to go unconvert everyone now that i know the truth now that i'm like spiritually woke mm-hmm. i need to go you know tell everybody else to leave the religion too and I don't think that that is the best mode of 
how to do things <laughs> necessarily. Totally. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is it's um, it's not really my responsibility to try to push my new agenda or new narrative on anybody else that's kind of hypocritical of me. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. It was actually news to me that divorce isn't totally frowned upon in the Mormon religion, but I'm wondering if like after you guys did get divorced, did you notice any kind of like subtle signs of judgment or like discrimination from whether it's like your friends or the community or people at the religion, even your own family members? Like I've heard in like other religions this like idea of shunning people even more so when they've left the religion but did any of that kind of start to happen once the divorce was in effect yes there is there's not a formal shunning like in jehovah's witnesses or anything like that but my value within the mormon church within that community changed and it was like palpable Because I had gone from, you know, Mormon wife, potential mother, with a priesthood-holding husband in the home, to, like, now she's in her late 20s, and what are we going to do with her? Do we try to marry her off again? Yeah, it, it was a very strange thing to experience, and I quickly realized that my value in that religion depended on men no matter what so i was basically worthless without a man and i did not like that feeling at all and i mean maybe other people who are single had totally different experiences and and those experiences are valid too but my experience was mostly that it was like let's try to get you married off again like so you can get that ceiling cancellation and i mean it was like my divorce wasn't even final yet, and my new bishop in my new congregation was like, let's get you to, like, the singles activities so you can, like, meet some men. And I'm like, I am not even divorced yet. I am, like, totally not emotionally stable. This is, no. Like, no. Yeah, that is an insane amount of pressure and also just, like, no time to even grieve what happened just back at it back on the playing field here we go up to bat you're not just a piece of meat like you're just a commodity to be used and i just yeah that (laughs) the final straw actually was um my bishop and my new congregation was uh he was probably in his 60s and he was very like socially awkward um, he came over to meet with me, uh, like, alone in my home, which I thought was kind of odd, and he sat on the couch next to me and we were talking, and he was telling me how his daughter had got divorced, so he, like, totally understands what I'm going through, right? Mm-hmm. And at one point, he put his hand on my knee, like, right above my knee, yeah, and said, I don't think you're going to have any problem finding another husband. Oh, that is absolutely disgusting. And that's when I was like, you're a man of God? Like, for real? No. Oh. Oh, I I don't even know. Like, (laughs) I just can't even imagine that. Oh, it's icky. It's so icky. And, you know, like, unrelated to even just Mormons in general, like, just this common theme of men that hold superior roles in whatever it is it could be the fucking ceo of the company the head actor or the freaking bishop of the mormon church like what the fuck is that (laughs) i don't get it times a man in a high level position has rested a hand on a woman's knee it's insane yeah i i don't (laughs) understand it I don't understand it. And I've never been, like, a person that's like, ew, don't touch me. But, like, no, but it's sending ew, don't a particular touch me. message, you know? It's like, yeah. we get the underlying message, the signal you're sending here. Right. Like, oh, this isn't God. comforting. It's gross. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm curious, like, what does it mean to leave a religion like what does that look like does it involve like packing your stuff up and leaving town or is it like how does that work like what are the steps of 
one making the decision and then like actively leaving it and starting a new life (sighs) i mean i guess in my case i informally left so basically i just stopped going to church um so there weren't really any like steps to be taken necessarily i wasn't i wasn't excommunicated um Mm -hmm. or anything like that i just stopped going and i did because i'm very close with my family i did communicate to them like hey i'm not gonna be mormon anymore and that was not a fun conversation but i felt like i needed to be up front with them and then um I lived in Utah for a little, about a year after I left uh, the church, and I hated it. I felt like I was definitely being ostracized. Most of my Mormon friends, like, slowly started making an exodus. You know, they'd disappear from my Facebook friends. They'd stop reaching out to me. Um, So it, it just... I was like, what am I doing here? Like, yeah. I don't, it was just miserable. And the church is so, so deeply entrenched in everything in Utah. I mean, it is, that's where church headquarters are. Most of the state legislatures are Mormon. It, it really does control the state. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I, I need to get away from this. So I was looking for an excuse to leave Utah when a job opportunity came for me to move to Pennsylvania. So I interviewed and um, I would say it's highly unusual for Mormon women to like leave their fam- the state where their family's in and mm-hmm. like live by themselves somewhere else. Um, So I think it was a bit of a shock to most people that I was like, yeah, I'm you know, I've never lived on my own before and I'm going to go move 2,000 miles away and, like, figure out how to do this adulting thing at 29. Yeah. Um, But I think it was, uh, quite honestly, I think it was, like, necessary for my well-being to do that because I needed to physically remove myself from that culture to really figure out who I was without being a Mormon. That was such a huge part of my identity. And being a wife was such a huge part of my identity that I was like, I've got to figure this out. Um, And I'd always been so enmeshed with what my family wanted. I'd always been very codependent. And so I was like, well, if I physically remove myself, then I have no choice but to depend on myself because I don't know anyone uh, in the state of Pennsylvania or anywhere within 1500 miles. So um. Yeah, it it was a very drastic choice, but I think it was necessary and I don't regret it at all. It was so hard and it's still hard sometimes, but so worth it. Absolutely. Have you like had an ability to sort of like recreate a community that's just yours? Like whether it's new friends, work friends, like new hobbies, maybe things that You know, maybe hobbies weren't even a big deal when you were growing up, you know, especially if it's just like church and marriage. Like, (laughs) have you picked up anything in your life that maybe you never knew you would be like passionate about or interested in or types of people you'd be around that now you've sort of explored after this big move? I mean, obviously working in the beer industry is probably one. (laughs) Right. Yeah, community is a, is an interesting concept because I will say um, there are things that Mormons do very, very well and community is one of them. Mm-hmm. They kick ass at community. If you, you know, sprain your ankle, there's somebody at a casserole with a casserole <laughs> waiting on your front porch when you get home from the ER. Like, it is a thing. Yeah. And so I do miss that. And I don't know that I have replaced that. And I don't know if I need to. Mm-hmm. I... I mean, obviously, COVID has thrown shit totally, totally off. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. But I do have an amazing circle of support and friends here in PA. And yeah, I I definitely um, working in the beer industry is so fun. I mean, I don't know that I ever would have gone into a bar before when I was Mormon. Maybe if they had really good food. But now I'm in them like every day and... 
I get to meet people that are totally, totally different from me, which is so refreshing. It's not a threat anymore. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. And I love podcasting. That's something I never would have done when I was Mormon. So cool. And you have your own podcast, right? I do. Yes. It's called The Existential Ginger, and it mainly centers around like... What is the meaning of life? What is spirituality? Kind of what do we what do we do from here? So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The ultimate question. I know. <laughs> what do we do from here? I ask myself that every day. <laughs> like, all right. It's another day. Where do we start? Where do we end? Right. What's tomorrow's plan? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's really, really cool. Um, I was wondering, I noticed there was one thing that you had said in your bio that, like, kind of stood out to me that I wanted to ask you about and see if you yeah. could elaborate a little bit more on, was you'd mentioned, you'd said something along the lines of, like, I'm now trying to figure out my life in a world that was previously, be- that I previously believed was wicked and lost. And so, like, what would it be considered, like, wicked carrying no. on into the world? I mean, I know alcohol is one thing that was a huge no, but, like, what other things do you encounter on the day-to-day basis that maybe would have previously been considered bad, wrong, or wicked in your old life? Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> tank tops? Tattoos? Tank tops? Oh yes, you don't you don't wear tank tops in the Mormon church and you don't wear short shorts. Everything is knee length. So if you if you, you live in Southern California, right? I wear a tank top every day of my life. <laughs> it is a uh, yeah, it's it's serious. Yeah, tank tops, tattoos, I have a nose piercing that definitely would not have been allowed. Um coffee, that is a weird one that Mormons are known for. You don't drink coffee. Can you have, like, tea? What what do people use to caffeinate in the mornings? So this is where it gets really, really muddy and quite funny. Because even as a devout Mormon, I could never explain it to people. Because they were like, you don't drink coffee? So is it, like, caffeine? And I'm like, no, I drink, like, six Dr. Peppers a day. And they're like, oh, so why can't you have coffee? And I'm like, because it's in Joseph Smith, the founder, or I'm sorry, he is not the founder. He um restored quote air quotes the true church the true gospel of jesus christ on the earth right i guess he, the god told him that we shouldn't drink hot drinks and that was interpreted as coffee and tea but herbal tea is okay but iced coffee and iced tea are not okay but hot chocolate is okay and soda is okay it but makes no sense only not have hot drinks so right. why is iced tea bad? It makes no <laughs> sense. It makes zero sense. How but weird. Yeah. And it's very like, that is a big one. Like, you do not drink coffee. It is a sin. You can't go to the temple if you drink coffee. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Very interesting. Like, same level as alcohol, in all honesty. Whoa damn i, I want to learn more about that i'm like somebody out in the world wrote a thesis on this like i need to find that <laughs> oh my god i think it's just one of those i think it's like one of those obedience things uh where it's just there really isn't like a doctrinal purpose for it yeah it's just something that they're requiring people to do as proof that they'll follow order right right so yeah that's a big one um uh sex outside of marriage another big one that i enjoy on the regular thank you very much um oh hell (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that's a big one i'm trying to think what else i mean i think being mormon i if you would have asked me like hey are you self-righteous i would have been like oh my gosh no like i love everyone But you do kind of have this elitist attitude of like, Mm -hmm. oh, I was born into the true church and other people can be good people, but they just don't have the truth. They just, you know, so you kind of look down on on everyone else and you're taught to be, you know, that whole narrative of like be in the world, but not of the world because we're godly people. So we don't do worldly things. It's just it's odd. Wow. So I'm curious, like, 
when you re- when you go and visit family, is that weird? Like, what is that dynamic like? Because I mean, I I feel like you've made it pretty clear you still have a great relationship with your family. There, you know, there's a lot of love happening there, but of course, there is that divide of they're in the church, you are no longer in the church, and all the things that you now engage in that aren't considered acceptable to them like just even the tattoos you have on your body (laughs) like how do things like that work when you're together in real life like is it just like a like don't ask don't tell or is there conversation that can come up that gets you know argumentative like what happens oh my goodness so i will say i am very very lucky to have the relationship now that I have with my family. There are people that leave the Mormon church that get disowned, that never speak to their family again, or have very, very um, hard relationships with their family. So I feel very fortunate. Mine were rocky for, I would say, about a year and a half um, after I moved, uh, or after I left the church and I moved to Pennsylvania. It was rough for a while. And... I still was in therapy, and that was the first time that I had ever learned what the word boundary was. I'd Mm -hmm. never learned about boundaries. And so um, that kind of became a thing of just uh, one of my my favorite go-to boundaries is, thank you for taking an interest in my life. I'm not currently available for feedback on this. (laughs) Which I know sounds like so salty. And when my therapist first said that, I was like, I cannot say that to my dad. (laughs) Like, I cannot. You don't understand. But I'll tell you what, like, it works. It's just like, thanks for taking an interest. Like, I'm not discussing this. Yeah. And sometimes that had to be enforced over and over. And then I had to learn to respect their boundaries, too. I mean, like I said... Instead of, like, word vomiting, like, oh, did you know this about church history? Or did you know this piece of doctrine that's bullshit? Or, like, why are you still doing that? Why do you believe that? Mm -hmm. It's all make-believe. Like, no, that's so disrespectful. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of was this balancing act of everyone in my family learning to respect each other and respect boundaries. Um, And now we're at a place where, I mean, my parents are still very much involved in the church. So is my sister. And so they'll still tell me things about like people that I knew in the church or, you know, they'll be like, oh, we're singing in the choir this weekend. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. Like, yeah. um, And I want to be supportive of them for those things because I know that they're important to them. But Mm -hmm. in terms of them sending me like scriptures or uh talks sermons same things um for me to read like that's all off limits yeah so and then in terms of my lifestyle as an apostate the tattoos are hard every time uh because i i don't really tell them when i get them i just kind of show up the next time i see them and they generally are, are not thrilled i should say my parents my sister is generally is like oh my gosh it's pretty (laughs) (laughs) but uh (laughs) i mean i've just reached this like i don't know this point of it's my life and i know that i'm disappointing them in a lot of ways but i think that they're proud of me in a lot of ways too because i i think a very small part of them expected me to move out and like fall flat on my face yeah, And so the fact that I didn't, the fact that I'm totally self-reliant and I've built, you know, this life for me here and I'm in a relationship that's loving and supportive. They love my boyfriend, which is great. Amazing. I know. So I, I just, I feel very lucky and I feel like yeah. that was a very long answer to your question. No, sorry. it's amazing. <laughs> it, I just, I could be here all night asking you questions. Like I need to be mindful of your time now. <laughs> Um, I do have a question and like, I've been thinking about it in my brain for a couple of minutes. I'm like, oh, I want to ask this, but it might sound like, like I'm controversial and I don't want to, I don't bring it I, on. Yeah. I, Cause I don't want to become all the other assholes in the world that have asked you this, but I want to <laughs> ask it in a, like a more like thoughtful, intelligent way of like, 
because you were somebody that was raised with this number one goal of marriage, 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 wife, 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 baby, 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 and you've finally been able to like step away from that and like regain independence and individuality and just like do whatever the hell you want. Is marriage something that like, like, what are your thoughts on that now? And I don't want to be like, when are you getting married? You know? Right. No, <laughs> but I'm no, also it's... curious if it's like, in a way, sort of tarnished your feelings about marriage or family or motherhood, or if like through therapy and through this growth you've done over the past few years, you've been able to like heal that kind of wound and like rebuild this new vision of what that means for yourself in this second stage of your life. No, it's a, it's a perfectly valid question. And I actually don't get asked it very often. So um, I guess the best way I can explain it is the biggest difference, the biggest difference of my, like how my brain works and my mode of thinking from when I was Mormon to now is when I was Mormon, I would like reach a conclusion or be um, persuaded to a conclusion. And that would be it. It would be mm-hmm. like, okay, I need to be a wife and I need to be a mom and that's what I'm going to do. And great. And like, there is nothing else to consider because that is like what I'm doing mm-hmm. as opposed to now where it's like, this is how I'm feeling now, but this could change. And so I think that those types of desires um, are fluid. Mm-hmm. So as of right now, I mean, my boyfriend and I have definitely talked about marriage. We talk about it in more of a very like practical sense of like, oh, it just makes sense from a legal standpoint that, you know, we're on the same insurance and we want to buy a house and that's easier when you're married, arguably. And he was in the hospital uh, for emergency surgery about a year and a half ago. And that was, I think, a critical moment for both of us because before that I was like I don't need to get married again Mm -hmm. but at that point I realized number one I was very lucky that his mom and his sister allowed me to participate in all conversations about him and all conversations with his doctor because we're not married so I didn't have to be included in those conversations um and secondly I was thinking I was like he is my family out here. I don't right. have anyone else. So if the roles are reversed, if I'm in a situation where I'm not conscious um, or cognizant enough to make decisions for my own health and my own well-being, I want him to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So it, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind yeah. of like a practical thing in our yeah. mind. It's not like Disney Channel original movie all over again. No. <laughs> I I worked in the wedding industry for a really long time, and the idea of having, like, a big elaborate wedding, mm-hmm. of course, I'm like, oh, that is so cool. But, yeah. again, like, the realist in me is like, oh, do I want to spend 40 grand on oh, a party? Oh, God, no. Or do, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm more practical in those kind of life plans. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the flowers. <laughs> I want to have a flower garden in my house. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not on the tables and they'll be dead in a day. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, at the uh, at the expense of being cliche millennials, I think we're just a little bit more like, eh, I want something long term rather than like blowing all this money on one day. I, I see yeah. both sides of the argument. Yeah, totally. And then with motherhood, for the longest time, that is all that I wanted. I wanted it so, so bad. And through the process of my divorce, and again, hashtag therapy for the win, um, I kind of discovered that, like, I don't really want to be a mom for the right reasons. I think Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a mom for the cultural reasons that I was taught. And I'm a very proud aunt. I have two nieces that I love more than anything on the planet. I was a nanny, and I loved the kids that I got to nanny And I think that's okay for me for now. Mm -hmm. I feel very strongly that I do not want to give birth. The thought of it, like, (laughs) petrifies me. Like, when women, I don't know if this is a thing outside of Mormonism, but, like, when women get together and they're just like, oh, yeah, I was, like, 30% of face and I was dilated to a seven. And they just start, and then the mucus plug, and they just start talking. I'm like, yeah. 
Listen, like, I had to just witness my sister's point a couple months ago, and it was as petrifying as you could ever imagine. Right? I saw things that I will never be able to unsee. <laughs> and even when I was just describing the next day to my boyfriend, like, oh my God, I have to tell you every single second that occurred while I was in that labor and delivery room. I mean, within minutes, he's like, stop, stop. Yeah. I'm like getting nauseous. Like, I don't want to hear another word out of your mouth. Like, I'm literally going to like, I'm getting dizzy and I'm going to throw up. He, that was just him hearing me describe it. So I know. I feel ya. <laughs> and listen, ladies that have given birth, like, slow clap because <laughs> y'all are bad asses, truly. Right? I know that I have supposedly have the parts for all that. I have zero interest. Like, everyone that's like, your body was built for this. I'm like, mine was not. You are mistaken. <laughs> you are mistaken, ma'am. Yeah. So I'm, I'm open to other, uh, ways to be a parent, maybe Mm -hmm. potentially in the future. I, but I'm also okay if that never happens for me, which is really weird for me, but that's, that's, it's kind of cool though, because I mean, it, it shows that like, you now recognize that this is not mandatory for you anymore like you once felt it was and now you have the freedom and free will to just let it happen as it happens where before you were like put on this timeline of like this is how it's gonna go down but now it's kind of like well it'll just go down how it goes down i don't have to control this or nor does anybody else and that's nice Oh, it's totally rad because I don't feel like my worth is attached to mm-hmm. my marital status or the number of children that I have. Whereas as a Mormon, that is absolutely what your value is. Yeah. Is like, are you married? How many kids yeah. do you have? When I would meet new people, it was never like, do you have kids? It was like, how many kids do you have? And I'd always feel like an idiot because I'd be like, none. It's just... I, I don't miss that. I don't. No. And thank God you didn't have kids when you were 21. <sighs> Listen, when I was getting <laughs> when I was getting divorced, a lot of people said to me, they were like, oh, you're so lucky you don't have children with him, though. Like, thank goodness you guys don't have kids. And I remember being like, what a rude thing to say. <laughs> and now I'm like... But for reals. Well, also, like, how difficult would it be for you to leave the religion if you had children that were still tied to it? Is that even possible? I mean, it is. And I I think there's... uh, Maybe it's just because I'm so entrenched in, like, the faith deconstruction community. But I feel like there is a huge mass exodus from the Mormon religion and religions in general happening right now. And a lot of those people are families. Oh, really? And so I think they are. And I think it's very interesting. Like, some of the people that I've talked to in my own show, their children are their reason for leaving. Is they're just like, I'm not raising my daughter in this. I'm not yeah. raising my son to be this way. And again, slow clap for you guys because that shit's hard. And I really, really respect and applaud anyone who recognizes that it's not a healthy environment for their family and Mm -hmm. they get out. Yeah, totally. Wow. Well, that was so much fantastic info. I mean, (laughs) I didn't know anything about Mormon religion I'm not a really a religious person in general of any religion, so I'm kind of just, like, out of the loop on, like, what's going on in the religion world in general. But, I mean, just, like, just so much other important things outside of just religion, outside of spirituality, just, like, gender dynamics, you know, these stereotypes, these, like, patriarchal standards from family to community to leadership of the churches, like, all these things that are happening it's very uh it's just it's a lot and there's so many things to kind of digest and deconstruct and um it's kind of just fascinating i mean just as a society in general to just think about all these different communities of people and the things that happen in them that are so different than the community next to them it's just human beings are an interesting breed <laughs> oh <laughs> say my that. so it's funny you should say that. I just recently finished the audiobook. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's called Sapiens Mm-mm. by um, 
Noah Eval Harari, I believe, is the author. So this book is, it's like Sapiens, A Brief History of Mankind. It's, uh, my IQ went up like at least 10 points from reading this book. (laughs) I felt so intelligent because this guy covers like literally the history of our species. Yeah. Starting with, you know, Neanderthals and cavemen. And then he goes through like anthropological and sociological Mm -hmm. and philosophical and religious and political histories of humans and i my mind was like blown i was like yeah we are really fucked up we are (laughs) and it's it's unbelievable and it's scary and it's fascinating and it's remarkable and it's complex and like it's just you know the the one thing i try and do on my podcast is tell a variety of diverse stories from women of all walks of life and from as early as like 800 AD to 2021, you know, so try to cover it all. And just the things that we discuss and see and hear are can be so polar opposite. But then there's always these little nuggets of themes that stay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we could be talking about like, light years of time and difference of their lifetimes. And yet how in the world are these little teeny little themes still existing in both stories? And that's the kind of stuff that fascinates me that I like to look at. And um, it it just comes back to that, like, wow, humans are strange. The way we think, the way we operate, the way we behave, the way we hi- digest information and react, like, it's wild. I'd like to spend my whole life studying it. <laughs> Oh, it's super fascinating. I was listening to your um, Salem Witch Trials episode earlier today, and I was like, this shit still happens. Like, not this sensationalized, but, like, a metaphorical witch hunt absolutely still happens today. Yeah. I think it's cancel culture. I think that's our modern day I know. That's the new thing. Yep. I, (laughs) I believe it. I'm there with you on that one. Well, this has been amazing. I just have a couple more questions for you. Uh, Well, one, I want to just give you the opportunity, if there is like any kind of advice you wanted to throw out there to the listener, whether that's somebody who has had like a similar background to your own, whether they were part of some type of religion, community, group, friendship even, that constrained them from living their authentic lives, or even just maybe just what you would tell your younger self if you could today. Ooh. Okay, let me try to organize those thoughts. Um, (laughs) It will get better. And no one can change or determine your worth if you don't leave it up to someone else. Like, you determine your worth and you are worthy. And I guess from a religious aspect, um, one of the creeds of Mormonism is endure to the end. And I think that's bullshit. I think we thrive to the end. Like, Mm -hmm. life is not meant to just be endured. We are here to experience all the things in all the ways. And don't cheat yourself out of that. Totally. I'd say a cheers to that one. Cheers! (laughs) (laughs) And then my last question is, what does sisterhood mean to you? And that could, that's a broad question. So wherever you feel to take that one, it's, it's up to you. I when I think of sisterhood, I think and I I should preface this by saying I I classify myself as optimistically agnostic. Mm-hmm. That is how I would classify myself. But when I think of sisterhood, I think of like that raw divine feminine energy of just collaboration and support and like that ooey gooey sunshiny glowy amazingness like when you get women together that support each other and aren't comparing themselves to each other that's when magic happens totally and what's so crazy is like the last episode i just had with a different guest also used the term that's when magic happens oh when 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 talking about sisterhood so I just love that. Like, it's been really interesting to hear everybody's different perspectives on it. But, like, hearing those certain things that are the same and you're just like, it is. That is when the magic happens. It's Totally. 
yeah, it's it's a it's a strong bond that I feel goes a lot deeper than a lot of other dyna- relationship dynamics in the world. It's kind of just one of like, here's the surface. This one's like the roots that go under the surface and they all kind of like tie and then like become one. Yes. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. It just, it really is cool. And I, I love men. Men are great sometimes. Um, <laughs> but like there is something really, really special about when women and um, transgender women and non-binary folks, when we all get together, like mm-hmm. it really is something special. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. Please let all of our listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, where they can find you, how they can find your podcast, what like anything you've got going on. Let us know about it. And we'd love to stay in touch and cheer you on in life. Oh, well, I would be honored. Thank you. You can find me basically anywhere by searching for the existential ginger. And as long as you spell it right, which I spelled my own Instagram (laughs) handle incorrectly for two weeks, it's fine. Um, As long as you spell it right, you are sure to find me. And I would love to connect with you. Amazing. And really quickly again, how long have you had your podcast going? I started it in January. Oh, nice. Yeah. And you're loving it? I love it. It's so much fun. Um, I do kind of a variety of solo episodes and guest episodes, and it's mostly centered around spirituality, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit of everything in there. And we don't, uh, I mean, we get serious, but we laugh and drink on my show too. So Totally. <laughs> cool. Well, I am so excited to check it out. And yeah, I'm just very excited that I met you and thank you so much for telling us your story and just opening up about your own life experiences and just having beers with me on a Wednesday night. I'm enjoying (laughs) myself to the fullest. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. This has been so fun and it, it really is an honor to be on your show. I think what you're doing is amazing and I'm I'm just really elated to be a part of it. Well, so happy to have you here. So thank you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Sharice is such a doll and I had an absolute fantastic time drinking beers and recording a podcast with her. Don't forget to subscribe to Mimosa Sisterhood on Apple Podcasts so that you can receive brand new episodes direct to your phone the moment that they drop. And if you haven't yet, swing by Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a review. This is seriously the best, easiest, cheapest, and quickest way for you to support this podcast. And it's a huge help in boosting our visibility, which will allow us to connect with more women out there in the world that currently don't know we exist. So thanks again for listening. Love you all dearly. And I'll see you next week. Bye.